a second. There we go. Ha, on it. Greetings, everyone. Thank you for being here, present. Those here are helping us uh, tonight. Uh, those who are online, we praise God for your attendance. And uh, we're thankful to uh, uh, to be able to study about Jesus. And prayerfully, uh, we are drawing closer to him as uh, we're studying his word together. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Merciful and kind, gracious Heavenly Father, hallowed be your great and amazing name. We we praise you. We thank you so very much for allowing us to assemble tonight to study a normal portion of your word and to grow in wisdom and knowledge and understanding as you grant it to us. We're thankful, Lord God, to be able to study about your son, to study about Jesus, the Savior of the world. We pray that you will help us to think about all the things you've done for us and all that you do and all that you will do in our future. We thank you for your protection, for your guidance, for your mercy and your care. Please open our minds, our eyes, and our ears to understanding of your word. In Jesus' holy name we pray and thank thee for be thy will. Amen. Okay, let's pick up where we left off last week. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26. We were talking about Jesus being humiliated um, at the crucifixion scene. And it, we're looking at his attitude, the attitude of Jesus Christ. And I want to pick up at verse 51. And it says, And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How then shall the scripture be fulfilled that it must happen this way? So 12 legions of angels, thousands of angels. Jesus says at any moment I could pull the plug. I could stop this at any moment, any time that I want to, any time that I choose. But the reason he did not stop. And the reason that he went to the cross was, put your name in this sentence. I had to save blank you. I had to save Tony. I had to save Court. I had to save James. I had to save Tracy. I had to save Judy. I had to save Pat. I had to save Nikki. I can go down the list, right? I had to save you. And so for that reason. And there are more to come. Today, there was someone else. Their name was in there. Jesus said, I had to save you. So Jesus, standing outside of time, knew who it would be, who would come to him, and how long it was necessary uh, for this world to remain. So the world is going to remain until God sees fit, and there's no one left to save. But he did not pull the plug. He did not stop the execution, the crucifixion, even though he could have. He did it to save us. First Peter chapter 2. Someone, I guess the, the thought is, you know, what would be the, what is the best position to be in? Um, and, and you, you know, you start going through, well, what, okay, so, um, never being born, never existing, or 
being born and, and dying, you know, at birth or, you know, the, the whole, all those scenarios. And, you know, the best position to be in is the very position that you're in. That's the best position because that was God's choice, right? And so here we are. We have a mission that God has for us. And those who love me, he says in John fourteen fifteen, will keep my commandments or those who love me will complete the mission that God has specifically designed for you. Jesus, verse 21 of 1 Peter chapter 2. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return, and while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed for you were continually straying like sheep but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls and notice that the continually straying is not because God messed up it's because we just refuse to get it right, right? Um, and, and, and maybe we might say, well, it's not that we um, we choose, but we're just in positions that we can't handle. But wasn't Jesus in the exact same condition? And he could handle it. In other words, we choose to sin. We continually stray, and yet God knew that from the very beginning of time that we would continually stray, but even though we would continually stray, Jesus still loved us so much. And he went to the cross. He did it for you. And so today, when you've sinned, you've asked God to forgive you. You strayed, but he brought you back. Isn't that great? You know, it's that, it's that I, I, I made you, And I lost you, but I bought you back. God has the buying power. He just, he just keeps on buying us back, right? The unconditional, uh, blood of Jesus that is unlimited. He keeps buying us back. Satan just has no chance, right? It's just, it's just so simple and so easy to, to repent and, and that's all it takes and God will bring us back, right? Into the fold. What a, what a great and amazing gift from our Lord. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 53. We'll look back at the prophecy for just a moment. And I want you to remember now, thinking about this, as we read this text, think about God did not have to, number one. Secondly, Jesus could have stopped at any moment if he so chose. Verse 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. 
Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with the rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Imagine meeting an individual, meeting someone who has never never deceived, never lied, never had a violent moment, perfect. And then someone comes along and says, today you die. How would you feel about that? I mean, you think about that. How would you feel if you knew this individual and and these persecutors come and wouldn't you say something like, wait a minute, he's done no wrong, such as the thief on the cross. He says, well, you know, we deserve what we're getting, but What has he done? What did Jesus do to deserve the death that he went through? The persecution that he went through? What did he do? He did everything right so that we could be saved. What he did, he did for us. What he did was because of me that he had to come to the earth and live and die. It was because of me. It was because of Adam. It was because of Eve. It was because of you. It was because of us. And I, I believe that the more that we take ownership of the of the fact that Jesus had to die in the sense that if he didn't die, I would I would have died. Take ownership of my sin and say, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to, Hebrews chapter 6, crucify Christ again. Right? I don't want to do that. Turn to Matthew 27. I don't want to put him back on the cross by living willfully in sin. I don't want to live in sin any longer. And what gets us to that point? What brings us to the point to where we, in our hearts and in our minds, make that decision that we're not going to sin anymore? Love. Love is the compelling component, the compelling piece that brings us to Christ, that makes us strive harder not to sin. Does that mean we're not going to sin? Absolutely not. But when you love someone, you do everything that you possibly can to do your very best for them and toward them. And you make better decisions. You think about things more often. You think about things with more clarity. When you love someone, when you love something, you react and respond differently towards it. So the more that we love Jesus, the easier it's going to be to stay away from sin. Because then we live a selfless life instead of the selfish life. Put myself aside and do it all for Jesus. Now, Matthew 27 and verse 26, keep in mind, at any moment, he could have said, okay, I'm done. Verse 26, then he released Barabbas for them, but after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they nailed down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. 
And they spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took his robe off and put his garments on him and led him away to crucify him. At what point would you have said, if you had the power and the ability to say, okay, right, we're done with this. You, you spit on me, really? <laughs> right? At what point would you have done that? You know, but Jesus isn't like us. Thank you, God. At any moment, he could have said, okay, we're, we're finished. But he did not because he had our names written on his heart. Continuing on in verse 41 of Matthew 27. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we shall believe in him. He trusts in God. Let him deliver him now if he takes pleasure in him. For he said, I am the son of God. Would you have come off the cross? That's pride, right? Pride of life. Oh, you want me to show you who I am? I mean, you know, you didn't believe me up to this point, but, you know, now because of what you've done, I need, I'm going to, you want me to come off? Okay. Right? No, Jesus didn't do that. He practiced such an amazing amount of humility that it's just hard to fathom. Just, I mean, it's more than just that, you know, he's um, uh, the savior of the world. It's, it's what he actually went through to be that savior, right? And that, uh, what, wasn't there another way, God? Well, no, there wasn't another way because this was the way God chose. It's the only way. How much do I love the perfect Savior? How much do I love the perfect Lord who sacrificed himself specifically for me? And then think about all the people who have um, rejected him to this day. That perhaps we try to bring the gospel to them or um, maybe a Christian who's walked away. Why? Right? You have to not know Jesus to walk away from Jesus. Right? I mean, once you know him, you realize what Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Uh, for you have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else to go. Colossians, please, chapter 3. To love Jesus causes us to make sacrifices that are not necessarily human. They're not normal. You know, we abstain from fleshly pleasure. Well, why? <laughs> because Jesus told us to. We love God more than we love ourselves. We strive to enter through the narrow gate. That's not normal to go against. Why would you go against Unless you're a rebellion, right? You're, that's what we are. We are rebellious people. Think about it. In reality, we're going against the grain, right? We're rebelling against the world. We're going in the wrong direction. Everyone else, they're all going that way. And we're, we're running this way. And it's a tough road. And they're going, why are you guys going that way when everyone else is because God wanted us to go that way? A love for Jesus not only compels us to do things the opposite of the world and it not only compels us to do things with happiness and joy in our hearts to live by the fruit of the spirit but it compels us to be strong as we do those things to be strong 
That's tough. Why, why is it, if you think about it, why is it more difficult to stand up for Jesus? You know, someone comes and says, oh, yeah, yeah, you're a Christian. And then people, you know, they capitulate, right? They got, they give in. But if someone came up to you and said, hey, hey, is that your car? Oh, yeah, that's my car. You know, or something, you know, you're driving that, that, you know, it's easier. Why is it so difficult for us to stand up for our spiritual faith, but easier to stand up for our physical lives? I mean, you know, if someone said, you know, if you're a Christian, then blah, 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 you know, oh, yeah, we kind of cower. But they say, well, if, well, if, if, if they threaten you physically, you're willing to do whatever you do to protect yourself. But when it comes to Christ, we realize that there's this word, humility, that when they challenge our faith, many of us cower. Why? Why don't we cower down? Why don't we stand strong and bold? I mean, recognizing that, you know, in reality, if, if indiv- individuals choose uh, to, I guess, um, harm us or really, I guess, more in America, more so to uh, to ridicule us. Why is that more shameful than if they chose to physically abuse us? We'd fight, wouldn't we? We would defend ourselves. Every Christian pretty much would defend themselves in some way. It's just a natural, you know, almost a natural thing. We'd put our arms up. We'd say, hey, get away. We would do something. But when it comes to Christ, we just cower. Why do you cower down? Right? Stand up for Jesus. Stand with the armor of faith. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe some of us didn't get dressed this morning. <laughs> we didn't put on our battle gear. Ephesians 6.12, right? You know, put on the armor. Of, you got to put it on, right? All, the whole, the whole armor of God. Verse 12 of Colossians chapter 3. And sometimes I don't put my armor on, I guess. And so, as those who have been chosen to, of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So Jesus not only bound himself to humanity with his love, but Jesus bound himself stronger to the Father and the Holy Spirit because of love. That's what God is, right? God is love. So while Jesus was on the earth, he was he remained constantly and consistently bound to divinity, right? The Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Godhead, because of love. It was his love not just for us, but his love for for the Godhead that caused him to continue and live in the appropriate way, speaking of godliness. And so maybe when I look back into my heart, maybe that's the one thing I'm lacking. Maybe I'm lacking the love that Jesus had on the earth. Maybe I'm lacking the love that Jesus instructed us to have. My wife and I were talking about the writings of John uh, all through the New Testament and the other apostles, the other writings, if you will, uh, all through the, the Bible. And you know who, who figured it all out, right? The one who got it was John, wasn't he? John's transition was incredible. John's transition was, he went from a son of thunder, you know, oh God, let me bring down fire from heaven, just like Elijah did, and we'll just wipe them all out. <laughs> Jesus says, that's, no, that's, 
And then he says, you don't even know what kind of spirit you have. To a man who says, no, we just love. We just love. We, that doesn't mean that, you know, sometimes we think about the idea of love. It doesn't mean that John, the beloved disciple, um, was one who just, I mean, walked around, you know, like a weak, weakling. That's not what that's not, it's not what it's about, right? I think we need to study a little more in depth about what love really is, right? The depth of love. We know love comes in, in two ways. It's action and truth. That's the whole definition of love, right? And you can put every, everything under the categories or, or, or characteristics of love under those two things. It's either action or truth or both of the two. It's got to be both. You can't have love without having action and truth. First John 3 tells us that. Jesus displayed that action and that truth. And he, he lived his life so beautifully that it's something that we ought to really think about emulating. What, why would I say that to Christians, you know? Well, do we really think about emulating that? You know, we, we want to get everything right. But that's the one you got to get right. That's the that's the motivator for everything else. That's the foundation for everything else. To love God more than we love ourselves. Turn, if you will, to John chapter 13. Love in action will do amazing things. What it will do is take a man who has all power and can do whatever he wants to do and cause him to humble himself. To the point even of death on the cross. That's what love will do, right? Love will also cause you to act outside of the normal human character, right? So here you are. Now let's think about the word betrayal and deceit. For the last three years, you've been walking alongside this man who calls himself your friend. I don't know how many times he hugged you and kissed you, right? He's your buddy, supposedly, and he's there for you. And, you know, you're like, hey, yeah, we gotta really, really love that brother. And, and, and then, but you being God, you know, this is the betrayer. Now, how would you have handled that? Right? So you know that in advance. So, so think about that. Now you, 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 uh, you meet someone and you look at them and God reveals to you that this individual is your betrayer. And God says, I want you to be close to him and I want you to serve him. You know, it's like, how would you serve? How well would it? I mean, would, why would I do that? Right? But Jesus loved them so much that he didn't allow one betrayer to end his work, but rather use that, if you will, to the advantage of the Godhead, God knowing uh, through providence. And maybe that's another day to study about Judas. But verse 5 of John chapter 13. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And so he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do to you, what, what I do, you do not realize now, but you shall understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet. Excuse me. He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. And so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined the table again, he said to them, 
Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. You are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. So when Jesus commanded authority, as Jesus lived his life, he showed that the leader is the servant of all. So as we live in this life, we work toward power, right? We work toward power, whatever you want to call it, authority or whatever else. All you're working toward in reality is to become more of a servant based on the Bible, right? God wants us to be servants. And as the leader gave them an example and he washed their feet, uh, speaking of their feet being in the feet, by the way, that was a servant. That was the lowest servant job you could have had. And the master, the creator, took the lowest servant job that a human being could ever have washing these feet that are sweaty and wet and dirty because of the sandals and walking through dirt and dust. And he took his own towel that was girded and washed their feet. And not only did he wash all of their feet, the lowliest of the lowest job of a servant in washing feet is to wash the feet of your betrayer. You think about that, right? And then not break his ankles when you're doing it, right? That's important. But to wash them so gently, so carefully, so delicately, and so kindly, so much so to where the text does not indicate in any way that Jesus washed Judas's feet any differently than he washed anyone else's feet. He exercised the same care and the same love toward Judas. What that tells me is, in addition to the lesson that Jesus gave, anyone can change, right? Anyone can change. Let's not count anyone out when it comes to changing and transformation. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, looking at verses 3 and verse 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. And do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Um, there are so many marriage um, seminars you can go to and how to fix your marriage and how to do this. And how to, you know, if every Christian put on this kind of attitude, the attitude that Jesus gave, and put 100% of service into the relationship, what an amazing relationship you'll have. I mean, the answer, the answer to fixing all of life's problems is loving Jesus. That's the answer. Because loving Jesus will compel us to do all the right stuff. Right? What, and what that means is, when I choose to do the wrong thing, part of the right thing is to go back and say, I blew it, I'm sorry, should have never done that, I repent, please forgive me. I'll try my best never to do that again. I don't want to repeat a folly, right? So to be like Jesus, working on that, by the way, (laughs) but to be like Jesus, that's the key. That's the goal of life, to be like Jesus. In Isaiah chapter uh, 61, Jesus, through prophecy, tells us what will happen. Verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, 
Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to captives. And freedom to prisoners. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant those who mourn in Zion. Giving them a garland instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. What an amazing burden. Right? I mean, he's, he's going to bind up all the brokenhearted and basically make everyone that feels horrible feel better. Right? I mean, think about the burden of Jesus that he, that he had to, and he said, my load is light, but this is what I'm going to do. He, everyone that doesn't, if you don't feel good about yourself or about life, you've been treated horribly, you're a slave, you're the lowliest of the lowest, or whatever it is, I'm going to take that burden, and I'm going to turn it right side up, I'm going to make you feel better about yourself, and I'm going to work on you every day. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> so that the servant child of God learns how to serve Enjoy. Oh, wait, that's another idea in it. Probably the fruit of the Spirit. To serve with joy. Not under compulsion, but rather with joy. If they ask you to carry the, the cloak one mile, carry it what? Two. Blow his mind, right? Oh, is this it? No, I, I got more. In it. Let's go. Let's keep going. You're going to carry it more. Wait, why would you do that? Why would, and that's exactly, that is the question, the mind-boggling question that uh, God's people ought to put on the mind of the world when they see us. Why would you do that? Not not in a negative way, like, why would you do that? Because I've done something wrong. But why would you show such kindness toward me? Why would you, why would you do that? Why would you? People don't, I'm kind of suspicious of you. People don't normally do those. Why are you being so nice? What's wrong with that? Wouldn't it be nice the world said that about us, right? Why, why are you so, why are you, you're different. That's what you want them to say, right? We want them to say that. We want to live our lives in such a way that when they see us, they should see whom? Jesus, as Jesus said, Thomas, Philip, Peter, James, John. When you see me, you've seen the Father, right? That's it. When you've seen me, you've seen it all. <laughs> pretty, pretty exciting. Turn, if you will, to Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. So let me ask you a few questions. Um, first question is, is worship, and, and now this is still a fair question, even though I know we're isolating and we're, we're in a, you know, a COVID situation in life. But is the worship of God, so this is really important. I want you to understand the question. Is the worship of God, not where you attend, meaning, you know, whether you're in this body here or, or you're over at, at you know, another state or country or, but where you are sitting right now, is your worship with God dry and lifeless? And then you blame everybody else, right? Well, you know, the, you know, the preacher didn't, or the, the song, you know, the singing wasn't, or the, you ever, you ever done that before? No, this is your worship. You can't blame anyone else for your worship. Where's your heart? Where's your 
heart when it comes to worship? What are you bringing to the worship? What have you, or should I say rather, to whom have you surrendered in the worship? Right? Have you surrendered your life, your all to God in worship? Whether it's, again, whether it's in home, uh, in your homes right now or in this building or another building somewhere else, is your worship dry and lifeless? Are you the kind of person that, you know, you just can't wait until it's over? I just can't wait until it's over. Brother James walks up and says, okay, hi church. <laughs> and then he starts talking, oh, when are the announcements going to be over? How many folks shut it off? You know, like, I don't know, at some point during the service. You ever heard what you, I mean, now we have more power. We love it, right? We have more power. Because if you don't like what the preacher says, you can mute him or turn him off. Oh, that's right. Unmute that button. No, just kidding. Is your worship, is it, is it, is it challenging? Meaning you cannot get your mind into the worship of God. And the question will be, well, how much do you love God? Right? What are you doing in, within your heart to, uh, to transform yourself? To be able to worship God in a way that brings glory and honor to His name and that brings a fulfillment, spiritually speaking, to you. Whenever we open up the pages of the Bible and we read and you read, you read the book, God is talking to you. What are you getting out of it? Are you listening to God or are you listening to man? That's kind of maybe one of the issues. What about your private life? In your, in your private life, in your private prayer life, is it a little cold? You know what I mean? In other words, what I'm saying, when, you, when you're thinking about your prayer, is it like, let me just get this over with? Is it, um, are, you, are you having a hard time finding the words to, to echo to, to God? Um, do, you, do you feel faithless, meaning I'm not sure God's even listening to me? You know, those kinds of things. Well, all, I'm, all I'm saying is tonight, if, if you're having some kind of challenge, in your life, if there's a challenge there, that I want you to step back, as the Bible tells us to, and, and just go to God in prayer now and ask Him, God, help me, help my unbelief. Help the, the whatever's challenging my faith, whatever's keeping me from loving you the way I ought to love you, help me to transform, right? What is that, that hindrance, that thing that's blocking our spiritual relationship, whether it be our spiritual growth, our, our ability to sustain ourselves, what is it that's blocking it? Maybe I've, I've not taken God as, uh, uh, as seriously as I ought. And, and maybe that's what led me up to this, this place that I am in, in right now, this chain of events in my life. Are you more concerned about your physical health? Right? That's a good question with COVID. Um, with our well-being, and comfort than about our well-being and our spiritual condition with the Lord. What's more important? Is it the spiritual condition or is it the physical condition of life? You know, no one wants to feel bad. I'm not making light of that. No one wants to feel bad. No one wants to be sick. But what about those who are spiritually sick? How'd they get there? You know, how do you, how do you get, go from, from, feeling great over here, but spiritually ill over here. And then the, the sad part is, a lot of us, when we find ourselves spiritually sick, we don't even know it. Right? We've, we've kind of gone that far away from the Lord. What is our spiritual condition? And spiritually sick doesn't mean uh, necessarily that you are sniffling and coughing, right? But rather, you know, 
like we're physically sick. You know, as we grow older, we have more aches and pains and the body doesn't work like it used to and all that. Right? We're physically sick, but you get used to the newness, right? Never allow that to be your spiritual life, right? Where you just get used to being spiritually sick. Don't let that happen, right? Whatever is necessary. And thank God for brethren. Isn't it great that a brother or sister, your wife, your husband, your sister, your child, your son or your daughter will bring that to your attention? Someone, your spiritual friend, say to you, will say to you, hey, brother, I've noticed, um, you know, we sat down and we were, we were going to eat and I noticed you took a bite of that sandwich before you thought about thanking God and I, I, if we could stop and pray first, that'd be great just to give God all the glory. Right? I mean, wow, right? Oh, oh, sorry. And then we feel it's kind of shame. I know that. But you know, thank you God for a brother or sister who would do that to help me to recognize where I stand spiritually. So think about that for just a moment. Just where are we, where am I in relationship mentally for my physical well-being as opposed to my spiritual well-being? What is more important? And then my my final question before we read the scripture. How is your spiritual appetite? Miss a meal or two and we're pretty hungry, a little grumpy, right? What about a, what about missing a meal of the word of the word of God? You even feel anything? Oh, I'll, I'll get to it tomorrow. Next, then tomorrow comes, and I, I well, so many things happened today, and I wasn't able to get where I needed to be. And but I'll, I'll get there. I'll get there, Lord willing, tomorrow or later tonight. I'll do it later tonight. I mean, how how many times do we do that, right? And yet we don't feel it. Shouldn't you feel it? Shouldn't we feel our spiritual condition depleting, if you will, or growing uh, weaker and weaker through life? The Word of God should be our our necessary food. Right? It should be what is truly sustaining us. I know the body needs food. We know that. But that's an automatic, instinctual thing. You don't have to worry about it. If someone said, so I'm just not going to eat any longer and put a hamburger in front of you, eventually you're going to eat the hamburger. <laughs> right? What if I put the Bible in front of you? Will you eventually read it? Mark 10 and verse 45. The Bible says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to live his life a ransom for many. That's purpose, right? That's a purpose scripture. Why did Jesus come? Not not to serve, or rather to be served. Not to be served, but to serve. So, when I become a Christian, and I signed that contractual agreement through the waters of baptism. And the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all unrighteousness. And I'm resurrected anew, and received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now I'm a child of God. I'm also a servant at that point of God. Why church, may I ask the question? Or may I ask the question, why church? Is it so hard? To get Christian men to serve. 
Think about that. Someone said the bell, you have to stop. Nope, we got a couple minutes. Why is it so hard to get Christian men to run through these doors with a heart, a servant heart, saying, what can I do? So I'm going to tell myself in closing, because I want you to know, um, and I, I, I hope this is a, a good, I, I guess it wasn't good, but I mean, it turned out good. <laughs> I remember I was so, I felt so inadequate when I became a Christian that when it came to Sunday morning, I, I show up at Sunday morning Bible class, I get there on time, and then I noticed that the congregation does something in between services. All the, all the congregations do this. The men go to a room and then they either assign people to do work or they replace people who are missing. Well, I knew that if I were standing around, Brother James, you gotta, you'll laugh at this one. Someone might come along and say, hey, Brother Cloud, can you, will you lead a prayer? Will you help us out? So you know what I'd do? I would leave the building in between services and I'd go sit in my car. And if people came out and I thought they were looking, I'd drive off. <laughs> And then I would drive back just before service started. <laughs> and, uh, ah, shame, huh? Um, and then I, and then I'd come in as soon as service started and I was ready to worship. Until one day, they realized what I was doing. So they saved a slot just for me. <laughs> and the minute I walked in, I thought, oh, everything's great. And they said, oh, brother, we saved a spot just for you. We're glad you're here. We knew you'd be here. You're always here. And then they said, would you please do this? And I was, I was caught. <laughs> I am so thankful the brethren did that to me. Whatever it is that's holding you back, let it go. Right? Let it go. Men, we need you. Your family needs you. God needs you. The church needs you. Come here on Sunday when we're here Sunday morning for worship and serve. I mean, really serve. That is part of what we are. Jesus said, I left you an example. Service. Be servant children of God. Thank you for your time tonight. I hope something was said. Encourage you just a bit. And uh, I thank God for your time. God bless you.